extremely delighted to be asked to do this again. Considered a great privilege to present the scripture. I would like to break everything up into two sections tonight. One, just some practical thoughts about developing that constant conscious personal relationship with the ascended and glorified Christ Jesus, who is our Lord. And then I'd like to go into John 16 and so just sort of document some things. So last time we talked about those two great bookends, one starting in Genesis regarding the spirit and the two fundamental principles. There's just first things when you start to understand and want to advance and become mature in the faith and reach what Christ would call your full and intended end before he returns. And one was when that spirit started moving in Genesis, light shined on darkness and then order came out of chaos. And those, you can search the scriptures far and wide, and you will never find anything that contradicts that. When the Christian gets born again, they have to have somebody with them. Once they've been justified by faith, Christ alone, there needs to be someone there to lead them in what the scripture calls sanctification. Because they're supposed to spend, you and I are included in the vague, we're supposed to spend the rest of our lives maturing. And the word sanctification, the root of it is holy. We set ourselves apart each day for holiness. Corinthians one thirty is a great verse where it says, we are the righteousness of God in him. So that light to darkness, order to chaos, everybody you meet and you've been there in your own life, you've had darkness, you've had chaos, and you've seen how the word of God is sufficient and you've applied that word of God and you came crawling out of that hole that you were in. Almost everybody you meet in America today that's not a believer, and many times believers who aren't instructed, are in some kind of disorder in their lives darkness in their lives. So the Holy Spirit stands firm on moving people from darkness to light and from chaos to order. And and then we covered a number of scriptures in the Old Testament, but I'd like to go back to Isaiah 11 and verses 1 through 5 just to read this. And you can realize that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was alive as well and working. But in verse 1, in chapter 11, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the awe or fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. What a marvelous verse. Mm. But with righteousness shall be judged the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. The righteous shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness, the girdle of his reins. This is talking about the coming kingdom for Israel. But those qualities there, a spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and of the fear of God are just essentials. Anytime you feel you're moved by the Holy Spirit, it's called, we'll read it later tonight, the spirit of truth. And that means every time it starts to mature you, and that's what it does, it wants you to start walking toward more maturity every day. That's one of its great qualities, and we have to realize that. So the other book he ends in Galatians 5.22, the final result of you and I walking in the Spirit. What are the fruits that are supposed to abound? And I want to draw your attention to something very important. But in verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. So we're to mature in love. Joy, we're to mature in joy. Peace, we're to mature in peace. If you're a elder, a pastoring teacher, you're going to have to mature in long-suffering. <laughs> And the same thing goes with gentleness, goodness, and faith. 
meekness, temperance against such. There is no law. And there, in other words, there's no limit to how God wants you to enjoy these things and mature in these things. But you will notice that all of these things have to do with your personal character. They do not have to do with prophecy. They don't have anything to do with signs, miracles, and wonders. These are things that occur because of a sovereign God and his ascended and glorified Christ by way of the manifestations to you or to me. But the ordinary work of the Holy Spirit is a very personal work that Christ is doing from the right hand of the Father for you and for me. Nobody knows the mechanism of how that can work. We'll have to go to that heavenly library and uh, go down the stacks and then and get that book out and read how that happens. But one of the things that's happening in the church today, my teaching is going to be fussing at the church a little about first 20 or 30 minutes, and then we'll get to that constant, constant personal relationship in a minute. But we've got to understand the scripture rightly divided, of which the Holy Spirit is one of the, the important parts of doing that in your own personal life is the highest form of intellect that you're ever going to have. It's the highest form of reason that you're ever going to have. Because sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to tell you things to do in the midst of your family, your loved ones, and the people that come you cross their path. He's going to ask you sometimes to do things that seem to be outside of your reason. And we have to adjust to that because those are times usually when the bacon is in the pan, where a tender word, remember tenderness is a part of that, and gentleness usually is a part of that when we talk with people closest to us and then the people that cross our path. And I want to, you know, I have to encourage myself in the in a world, and by the way, the cultures around the Christian church in every generation have been going to hell. We're not living through anything new. And it's worse in many parts of the this dear old planet than it is here. So, The Holy Spirit moving in you uh, to enlighten the scripture is the highest form of reason and intelligence you will ever enjoy. And it brings with it those fruits of righteousness, as I was saying. So in 1 John 5, 3, it says, this is love that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Well, if that's true of the scripture, (laughs) and when the Holy Spirit enlightens you, it's the same way. No matter what your senses report, if you're going to have a constant, conscious, personal relationship with the ascended Christ who makes known the Father, then you're going to have to believe that when he speaks, when he moves you, that it's not going to be grievous. There may be some chastening that occurs to those you speak with, but even that brings about the peaceable fruits of righteousness. You're not being an authoritarian when you do this, but you do it with that love of God that says, I must speak out on this matter with wisdom at that time. In Second Peter 1, 3, and let's read that. It's so important to understand. So when we come away now from Galatians 5, 22, the thing you really want to absorb is, is I sometimes I use some examples that Jane says they're a little raw, but you know, you're as, that Holy Spirit in you, it's like crawling into bed with him at night. That mighty force uh, that Christ has given us to be an intercessor in our own personal lives. I have never had as intimate a relationship with my wife of 54 years as I've had with the joining of the Holy Spirit that Christ in me. In Ephesians 5, you know, marriage is compared to the mystery of the church. And we are not, I heard on many occasions, as intellectuals would teach me the scripture, we're identified with Christ, brother. And I jump up and I say, no, we're not. We're joined with him. You know, identifying with something and being joined with them 
is an entirely different thing. And by the way, the true body of Christ, wherever they are and whoever they are, we're all part of that one new man doctrinally and Christ is the head. So we are united in that spiritual sense and all the spiritual work that comes out of that body is because you've read the scripture, you've taken seriously, as it says in Revelation 4, 8, these four living beings with the six wings and eyes all around are around the throne and they were constantly repeating, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. This is who we're dealing with. This is who we're naked and open before every day. He's much more than the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's much more than father, although those are certainly important character traits of him and a loving father. But I must really push myself to understand that he is holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Psalm 147.5 says, great is our Lord and great is his understanding and it's infinite. Jane, will you look that up so I, I usually can quote it correctly? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. No, I wanted the one that his understanding. His understanding is infinite. Well, his understanding is infinite, this holy God, and we're finite beings blessed with the greatest gift that you could ever get, and that's that Holy Spirit within us, that Christ within us, that God in Christ within us. And it is the partner of the Scripture. So when we hear a holy, holy God inspire Paul to write, study to show yourself approved unto God, that's the linchpin for every Christian. But it's particularly the linchpin for the elder, the pastoring teacher, or the evangelist in the local community. Because the ordinary work of the Holy Spirit is personal. They're, they're all listed in Galatians 5.22. They're not dramatic. They're not seen by the public, mostly. They are for you. He died so you could have those qualities in your life as you age. And if your cognitive skills stay together as you age, you have an adventure every day in spiritual maturity. And there's nothing quite like it on a long life's path in any way, shape or form. But Second Peter 1, 3 says that, um, well, we'll just read it from verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. Uh, that knowledge, I think, is a deep and abiding knowledge. that has a powerful influence on you. And verse three is where I wanted to get to. According as his divine power hath given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So there's nothing in the culture today that wasn't in Martin Luther's culture. Mm-hmm or the Apostle Paul's culture, that the scripture could not answer because it has everything to do with anything regarding life and godliness. The um, first book written uh, outside of the scripture on the evil of homosexuality, for example, was written in the year 1000 by Father Damien in the Roman Catholic Church, and they've been battling it ever since. Homosexuality is nothing new. Neither is the abortion issue. There's nothing that pertains unto life and godliness that the pastoring elder or the concerned faithful believer, that the answers are not revealed in the scripture. It is all sufficient on all occasions. John 16, 14. We'll be back later to see John tonight, but I wanted to go here first just to set the mood, so to speak. 
we'll cover the scriptures before or later, but the sum and substance of what occurs between verse 7 and verse 7, 15 is in verse 14. He, talking about, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. The Holy Spirit, you hear a lot about it in charismatic churches. It's almost taken over the charismatic churches. In many instances, they, they never point to Christ. It's always the prophetic. It's always the sign, it's always the miracle, and it's always the wonder. And I'm all for those things. Don't get me wrong. God does tell people prophetically what to do in certain situations. God does do signs, miracles, and wonders. But the ordinary work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. We can't, you know, if a church, Jane and I were invited. Somebody had heard that we were fairly good at straightening out churches, and somebody in the Midwest invited us to come out and just attend their church and then give them advice on what to do. And it was quite obvious when we were there, they'd completely lost this concept that Christ is ascended. He's the interceder in everybody's lives. They were into charitable works in the community. They were into signs, miracles, and wonders. They were into these things that in their place are wonderful, but they have lost complete control and thought regarding that everything points to Christ. He's the intercessor that provides forgiveness. He's the intercessor that points you to stop doing things. He's the intercessor that says, sit down and collect yourself and meditate on this before you make a decision. Because we all come from this background and it's lost in the world today. And that's a shame that we're dead in trespasses and sins without God and without hope. For centuries, the church has focused on sin and you're going to hell. Now, there's <laughs> there's no question some people are going to hell and some people are going to heaven. Now, that has its place, too. But what's gotten left out for the average believer is the Holy Spirit points you to your spiritual destiny. Now, but you have to admit that probably in your life, the reproof and correction has been magnified in regards to the Holy Spirit and the scripture itself. I believe out of all proportion, Paul is quite willing to explain in Ephesians 2, where dead in trespasses and sins without God and hope calls us former children of disobedience. Go into Romans. It's it's quite clear, 5, 6, and 7, but, you know, I think it's in 323, Jane, we're continually sinning, sinning. It's in the present tense and falling short of the glory of God. But when Christ died, the forgiveness ran back to Genesis 3.15. And the forgiveness runs forward till he returns. So the faithful believer, I believe in AJ's prayer, prayer, talking about forgiveness, that's a right and a privilege that's been given to us. And in Hebrews 10, it actually says that unlike the offerings in the Old Testament, that once the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed you, cleansed you from all unrighteousness, uh, your conscience is supposed to be cleared. Now that, brother and sister, is an amazing thing. Romans 3.23 is falling short of the glory of God. We're continually doing that. And you know, we know that, but the Holy Spirit always points you to Christ's will. But I want you to get some balance if you don't have any. He's not some kind of warden. The Holy Spirit isn't a warden that's looking over you to reprove you all the time. And the re- and I believe things like this are mirrored in the world with good parents. Good parents aren't hovering over their children all the time to reprove them correctly and correct them as if perfection was attainable when you're eight or God help us 18. (laughs) So he's not hovering over us to motivate us to move forward by the reproof and correction. It occurs. We would hope that as we mature, we become more profoundly aware that he is a holy, holy God. And he has certain things that he approves of, and he has certain things he doesn't approve of. And 
the Holy Spirit's going to let us know that. Or in my case, I don't want to include you in my kettle of fish, but usually when he reproves me, I already know that uh, that wasn't correct. I have some maturity here after all these years. But what I want you to see is he really wants to point you to your testimony and witness destiny. Look at Second Corinthians chapter 11. That scripture was 147.5. Great is our Lord and great is his greating. Would you come back and read that? I thought I had that right. I... Psalm 147.5. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Yeah. See, it's all sufficient, isn't it? <clears throat> Nobody has 24-7 revelation. You know, that's another thing in the church. Uh, the church goes down the, the path of everybody's getting revelation on everybody else. <laughs> that's not the way it works. Uh, the body of Christ feeds one another. There, There is no, the apostles like Paul and Peter and James and John, these men are gone. Uh, what happens in the church today? There's three ways that we learn. First of all is the study of the scripture. And when you study the scripture, you should read it slow for meaning. You probably ought to be looking for something. And then what that spirit does, the ordinary work of the spirit is to enlighten you in regards to your personal life so that you'll have no conscience of sins there far as the east is from the west and deeper than the deepest sea. So you can focus on what God has asked you to do with your personal life, with your family, people that cross your path, basically anybody you meet that you have a chance to testify and witness to. But the word and the spirit are always pointing to Christ in John sixteen fourteen, And nobody knows the father. And nobody knows the son, but the father, Christ said. And nobody knows the father, but the son, Christ says. And who the son will reveal him to. So part of that spirit of God working in you tells you about the character of God, that he is holy, holy, holy. And yes, there are hard sections of scripture that people have different opinions on. But in the age of grace, we have three things to focus on. And the babe in Christ who desires the milk, there's somewhere in Peter 2, 2, Jane, I can't remember first or second, that somebody desires the milk of the word. We often hear the, the scriptures on the milk of the word. We want to move on to maturity. But bless God, when I got saved, thank God for Bob Linfeld and Tim Somerville, because I wanted them. I want, I didn't know I wanted the milk of the word. I just knew I wanted more. And they were there, you know, and they did not feed me a kielbasa. They started with the milk of the word. I can't believe I'm supposed to have a more abundant life. It would take me years to learn fully, and I don't know if I've fully learned it now, that that abundant life is physical, emotional, and spiritual. It doesn't have anything really to do with possessions. Uh, possessions are part of the finite world, and they wear out. You wear out. I wear out. What doesn't wear out under the blessings of God? Did you find it? Can you read that, please? As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Yeah. So all of us have made that trek. We know we've made that trek. And so when we're working with someone that's new, that could be 55. I worked with somebody who was a hundred who was new at it and wanted to know the basics of prayer. They were inquisitive. They had their, at age a hundred, they had their knocking about senses that my dad would say. And they wanted to hear the pure, unmitigated truth. And you know what? I learned from her. So the first place we learn is studying as the Spirit of God enlightens you about your life and your destiny. The second place we're to learn, and this is why I'm concerned about 
Zooming like what we're doing right now, I'm supposed to learn from you. The body of Christ is we're to feed each other. I look at it. Uh, Mark may like this because he's in the medical field. They were all on this giant, giant, massive IV called the Spirit of God in Ephesians 4. You remember those first three verses, I think, about the one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's above all and through all and in you all and says we're supposed to keep those. They already exist. The word keep means that we're to guard them. It'd be a better word and participate in them. So three ways to learn. You study. Second way, the Spirit's going to illuminate you. It's going to enlighten you. And I want to, again, drive this point home. It wants you to fulfill what Christ perceives as your own special purpose in your life. You're justified by faith in Christ alone. It's if you've never sinned. Many Christians in these prophetic churches and the signs, miracles, and wonder churches and the gospel of success churches, they never hear anything about the working of the Holy Spirit, but the extraordinary. They never hear it's your personal bedfellow. Boy, you could really take that out of context. <laughs> Murder me on a podcast. Second <laughs> Corinthians 11, verse 1. Paul's taking some time to fuss at the Corinthians, which he was good at on occasion. And uh, he's fussing in particular here at false apostles. And he said, would, would to God you would bear with me a little in my folly and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I espoused you to one husband that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. There is a gospel of the intellect. There is a gospel of research. There's a gospel of health and wealth. There's a gospel that the missions are the most important things in the world. And all of these things have their place. But when Satan puts them on the throne, and that's why a church exists, then that church has lost its way. It's come off the rails just as surely as a locomotive. And that that pastoring teacher who is the driving force in that church, that he's the, lo- he's the engine, he will drag off every person in that church, just like the cars in the fugitive. Have you ever seen the movie where the train runs off the tracks? The cars don't have any choice but to come along. And generally speaking, if a church costs, comes off the tracks, it's because of a charismatic person who I believe in their heart believes they're doing the right thing. But in the end, people get involved with secondary issues and secondary issues have to stay in their place. And Satan right now is more active in the Christian church than he is almost in the world. If he can snooker the church, then there's not going to be anybody faithful. So Satan opposes the doctrine of the spirit-filled life as bitterly as any doctrine in the church. And if he can't prevent uh, you from getting saved, he is going to do his best to prevent you from understanding how the Holy Spirit works. And if he can't prevent you from understanding how it works, he's going to distort it. So you will never get the genuine blessings that the Holy Spirit was supposed to bring you. I know that's hard language because there are many today, I call it the gospel of experience. Let's read verse four. For for if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, a Jesus that only is there on the right hand of God to heal, a Jesus that's only at the right hand of God to prophesy, a Jesus that's only on the right hand of God to do signs, miracles, and wonders, a Jesus that's on the right hand of God to do anything but glorify the Father and feed you by intercession is another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, which you have not received, or another gospel, which you which you have not accepted, 
and one translation says, the King James is not good here, you bear with them beautifully. You, you go down that path. I think a guideline for a pastoring teacher is never to teach anything that he's unsure of, that he has not made his own, that it is not rightly divided. And if he should desire the help of the members in particular in that church, he should announce, I'm struggling here with these verses. Does anybody have any wisdom on this for me? It does two things. You might get an answer from somebody else because the body of Christ is one of the great functioning. uh, It is these functioning spiritual check and balance on everybody else. Many of you may have known John Crouch, a close and dear friend of mine. I witnessed him who just fell asleep recently. He was one of my checks and balances. And now that I'm my age, um, two of my older children are, uh, how should I say it? They're helping us make sure that we stay, that I don't get out of order and passionate because I'm old and get angry like Joe Biden about certain things. You know what I'm saying? And I want to make sure when I'm teaching the body of Christ, I'm not out of bounds. So, pardon me? Yeah, that I speak correctly. So this simplicity in Christ revolves around three things. Justification by faith. Every believer, the moment they get saved, there should be somebody there to tell them that it's it's as if they've never sinned and the ascended and glorified Christ's righteousness has been transferred to them personally by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then they should learn that the ordinary way of life for the Christian is a sanctified life lived day by day. You are supposed to mature until the Lord returns or you rejoin the soil. That's our calling. So if there are any elders or pastors on here tonight, I would like to tell you that the spiritual life and growth of the people of God is your responsibility. And it's an enormous trust that's been set down in your midst that you don't ever lead anybody astray. Now, we all make errors. That's what forgiveness is for. But you should have no self-interest involved at all. In other words, you You're not seeking any kind of power. You're not seeking any kind of position. You're not seeking any kind of money. You're doing it for the sheer joy of being a faithful steward and pointing people to the ascended and glorified Christ. So there's that sanctification. And finally, there's the glorification that's coming. As AJ said earlier, what a day that will be. So justification is it's just as if you've never sinned. Sanctification is power over sin. Glorification is the complete absence of sin in the presence of the ascended and glorified Christ and his Father. And so those three things are where we should start people who want milk. Those that want milk, we start there. You explain those three things to them. And you could do no better thing in the church than to do Romans 1, 16 through 8, 31 in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Have, have them read them slowly, put question marks in the margin. Uh, the next uh, Christianity, unlike the devil's crowd out in the world, our, our, our heirs of, that are coming behind us, they have to be instructed properly in the faith. Uh, the world's going to instruct you. It, it'll, the world will fatten you up for the kill every day you're out in it. You have to, even at this age, I have to grab my mind and discipline it. And I had the privilege of studying under Bishop Pillai two summers ages ago in the old ministry. And he treated, he, I remember him teaching, uh, treat your mind like a dog. Uh, tell it what to do. Never forgot that. Colossians chapter two. So holy, 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 Lord God almighty. That's who we're naked before. And we have to remember that. And, and you can take this wrong, but I don't want you to. We can't get too familiar with a holy God in the sense of take thinking we have extra privileges because we're Mike or we're Mark or we're Jane. It doesn't work that way. There's a standard for everyone, and 
that's just it. But in Colossians 2, 1 through 3, for I would not, I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love unto all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father in Christ, verse 3, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in the ascended and glorified Christ, who makes known the character of the Father. And he does it by this middle word, sanctification, setting you apart, you setting yourself apart every day. And it is a, it's a new beginning every day to, to push yourself toward maturity. And when I say push, I really do mean push. There are just times in life that if you're going to mature, it's, it's, you're going to push. Uh, you don't get to, go up the staircase of Christianity and skip too many steps. Nobody does. There are signs, miracles, and wonders. In my 50 years of life, I've had two signs, miracles, and wonders. I'm telling you, uh, I can't live on them. I have a wonderful memory of the Spirit carrying out the will of my life of the ascended and glorified Savior. His, his sovereign will happened in my life for my benefit. But I can't live on that. I've got to appreciate what was done for me. And I have got to go forward. And this is what's missing from my point of view. And you'll have to take that for what it's worth. That we have so concentrated on other gospels that we've almost left Christ alone at the right hand of the Father. And once the Holy Spirit is made, you know, he becomes inactive in you, the flesh will fill the void. That's why it has to be attended to every day. So I encourage you at this sort of first part of what we're doing, that you realize that particularly if you're responsible for other people's lives, you start with milk, you start with justification, you start with sanctification, you start with glorification, you explain these simple things in Christ to them, you start to establish to them that part of your sanctification is a is a discipline of developing a prayer life. When you say you're going to pray for someone, either you do, and if you don't do it, write it down, put it in your pocket, carry it with you, so you can review it. Stay faithful in your private life. I don't know how many ministers I've known that man in the pulpit, they were on fire. And in their private life, they were a hypocrite. And I'm not talking just about sexual deviation, which is the hot button today. I'm talking about, so you don't know how much I pray. I don't know how much you pray. Uh, I try to attend to my prayer life. And I was telling our church just this last Sunday, one day last week, I just blew it. You know, I, I prayed when I got up and I prayed when I went to bed. My, as I told you last <laughs> last time we were together, my mind didn't default back to prayer during the rest of the day when my mind didn't have to be involved with the necessities of life. And uh, so at any rate, I just wanted you to get back if you aren't, and I pray you are involved with the simplicity of the scripture on justification, which is if you never sin and teaching that new babe in Christ and reminding yourself that sanctification means you do have power over sin. There's no alcohol habit. There's no drug habit. There's no sex habit. There's no private, uh, prideful habit. No, no, you know, I want to be the hot, hot guy on the, in the pulpit. There's nothing that the Holy Spirit won't address with you. But I want to remind you that what he really would like you to do is go forward in your life, faithful, doing what you can do with family, take care of family, and then that people you come across. Okay, uh, I've preached enough on that uh, that I, I want you to uh, take it to heart that uh, uh, we take those young people in the Word, we take them from darkness to light and from order, from chaos to order. John chapter 14. If you're going to develop a constant 
constant relationship with the ascended and glorified Christ. There's just going to be certain things in Scripture that you're going to have to belly up to the bar on. And here in the upper room discourse in John 14 and, and in verse 16, we'll read through 18. And Christ says, and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Most of the new translations have uh, sort of exited from comforter and put helper. You may have that in your Bible. I believe it should be even sterner than that. I believe it should be strengthener. If you know that the ascended and glorified Christ is interceding in your life by way of the Holy Spirit, you can have the strength to work through anything because the scriptures are quite clear. You're not going to be tempted. The faithful person is not going to be tempted above that which he can handle. There will always be a way, and I love the way that scripture says it. There's always going to be a way to escape. I can just see the doors opening and me rushing out of the room of whatever situation I'm in. If you know you have the strength to handle it, then you know that the comfort will come later. Uh, the King James men, when they translated comforter, were well aware of Latin, and it, it really means it was uh, comforto with strength. Uh, people that play, played the piano, uh, piano, I was reproved by uh, Franco earlier for my southern accent. Uh, it means with strength in Latin. Um, even the spirit of truth, this is the first time I believe it's called the spirit of truth. So that means every time it works in your soul to tell you to get rid of some. Jane, what's the scripture on the weights and sins that do so easily beset us? Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11.1. 1. You want to get that and read that while I'm finishing this. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not. And I would rather translate this, neither acknowledges him. You got to know somebody, you got to acknowledge them to begin with. Many don't acknowledge this word could be translated that way, I think, faithfully. But ye know him, you acknowledge him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And that word dwelleth means to settle down in. Uh, it's a unique, you know, John uses abide and dwelleth a lot. He uses believe a hundred times in his gospel, uh, out of the whole hundred and fifty times that believe is used in the New Testament. Apparently, the fellow wanted you to believe. <laughs> and uh, John 3.16 and 17 is an example of that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in the end should not perish, but have everlasting life. In verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. So in 14.17, uh, the title there is The Spirit of Truth in Our Little Notebook. And then what is the Spirit's purpose? Well, the Spirit of Truth always wants you to have a constant conscious personal relationship with the ascended and glorified Christ. What else could he be pointing to? He's always wanting to glorify Christ. He's not not wanting to glorify the church. He's not wanting to glorify anybody in the church. He's not wanting to let anything that's good in its place take over the church, but rather Christ is at the center of the church all the time, particularly in the pulpit, or if you do a home church on the love seat. Whoever's in that church when they're teaching, they must keep Christ at the center of everything. And you've got to say it a lot. You've got to repeat it a lot. Do you have that now? Okay. We'll read it. Okay. Hebrews 12, 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Mm-hmm. And let us run with patience the race that is set before. Right. So there's a distinction there, isn't there? There's weights, things that are not necessarily sins, but things that just hinder you. Uh, And the Spirit will talk to you about those weights. And then there are sins that need to be asked for. A lot of times people ask 
for forgiveness for weights. Uh, sins is what we ask for forgiveness for, what we change our mind on, the words repent. But weights can be there. They're not necessarily good or bad. They're just out of proportion. Don't beat yourself out of, you know, beat yourself up because you bite your fingernails and you should, you know, don't take on things that uh, aren't a sin and uh, as sins. Uh, and getting back to that principle, and I'll probably say it more than spirit is really about your, your personal destiny, your personal spiritual maturing destiny. That's what it's about. And you can get saved at 19 like I did and start then, or you can get saved at 55 and start then. But I'm going to tell you, there has to be a mentor around. The Christ was left with 11 apostles. He was constantly having a personal relationship with them from telling Peter to get behind him as if Peter were a Satan to a couple of verses before saying, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for man has not revealed this to you, but God regarding Christ's nature. So that constant personal relationship, you can read the Gospels and see that happening. But Paul would say in Galatians chapter 1, 11 and 12, that what he received was not from man. It was from the ascended and glorified Christ. And then in Corinthians, may have it here. Give me a second. Yeah. Second Corinthians 5.16 says, we don't know any man after the flesh. We don't even know Christ after the flesh. And I don't know who wrote it. It certainly wasn't me. It's too eloquent. To know any man after the flesh, even Christ, is to miss the whole truth of what God has done with the resurrected and ascended Christ. See, the Gospels are just a beginning. He came to Matthew one twenty one. He came to the lost sheep of Israel. He wanted them to have a constant, constant personal relationship, confess him as the Messiah, and he would have set up the kingdom then. They rejected him in Matthew chapter 12, and then that's verse 13. He starts telling all the parables uh, about what the some of the new things that are coming. So the purpose here as, of the spirit of truth is so that you can have a constant, constant personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's based on your studying of the word and the spirit enlightening you and then coming together like tonight with other believers and learning from them. There'll be a time in a true church where I learn from you. Uh, even if, if I teach, but after church, uh, you'll instruct me. I'm listening to conversations that weren't even directed to me in the, ch- in the church, like AJ's talking to John Touchstone, let's say. And I'm sitting over in the corner having my f- cup of coffee and refreshments. And I get reproved, corrected. My personal destiny gets fired up just by listening to their conversation. Spirit of God, this is why I, I don't know about podcasts. Maybe I'm just too old. Um, I find it hard unless everybody gets off the screen for me to tell AJ, who's my pastor, uh, a personal item that I need to discuss. That's true in our church today. We have a room. We tell everybody, you know, if you have something that you need to talk with privately about somebody you trust, you go there and you talk with them. I don't want anybody to see the video of my life. <laughs> so the ordinary work of the Holy Spirit is to enlighten you. Those seven things in Galatians are all personal, and it's a privilege to have the Holy Spirit do that for you. So the evidence here in John 14, 17 through 18 is the context. It's all about habitually settling down, dwelling, 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 settling down in. And one of the I'm going to read some qualities about the Apostle Paul and possibly it will inspire you. He was a man of integrity and character and conduct. He was trustworthy, truthful, anxious to please God rather than men. He was not an authoritarian, but rather led with tender love. He was not mercenary. He did not minister for money, but rather paid his own way by working a secular job. He was unselfish, untamed, transparent, and authentic without reproach in morals, manners, and motives. 
He was exemplary to all in fulfilling his calling, commission, and commitment to God. I'd like that to be able to be said to me. I can't afford the tombstone with all that writing on it. Mm. But it should the Lord Terry put that. When it says not an authoritarian, the preacher's job is to present the gospel. The hearer's job is to listen and believe. He is not to coerce in any way, shape, or form. The word of God will coerce enough. It will, in Hebrews, it talks about exciting exciting one another or irritating one another. I can't remember. Inciting. Inciting. So it's about habitually settling down every day with the ordinary things of life, being faithful in the ordinary things of life. And uh, that's what it's required of stewards to be that kind of faithful on a daily basis. And it's hard to understand that you're laying down diamonds, gold, and silver, precious stones in your own personal life because of your private faithfulness. What I do in public is one thing. What I do with my thoughts and my private life, what I do with my words, with my closest loved ones in particular, we should have more families in the scripture. What I do with my thoughts, what I do with my words, what I do with my actions, the words and actions spring from the fact that you're doing exactly what Paul says in Ephesians and Colossians. You're putting off the old and you're putting on the new. And some people tend to think that that new results from putting off the old. That's a double meaning. You put off the old, but the new is to lead you to your personal spiritual destiny. I, I, I don't have words to describe what an, when the spirit starts talking to you tenderly, lovingly, you have joy and peace in your life. And he says, move forward now, move forward in these relationships and family relationships are first. If you failed with your children, succeed with your grandchildren. Um, do all you can do where you can, when you can, with whom you can in your life. John uh, chapter 14, verse 18, the Spirit's purpose, he's not going to leave us as orphans is the correct translation in the strangeness, strangeness of circumstances. You're not going to be like some orphan that they take into an orphan. It's a strange circumstance. You're always going to have the comforter with you, strengthening you. And then the Spirit's evidence, you know, when you see in verse 17 here, the circumstance is not your counselor. The Spirit of God and the Word of God is your counselor all the time. So you take heed to that thing called studying to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the truth. And, you know, I think that can boil down to the busy man and woman, to one chapter of Ephesians or one chapter of Romans a day, and you're thoughtful, you pray before you read it, you ask the Lord, the Spirit in you to enlighten you in regards to the matters that you need to know when you read that. Studying is not biblical research. Studying is a personal time that you spend with the inspired scripture that was written down by the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers of their time. Twenty-seven books in the Old and the New Testament. None of them are written till Jesus Christ sat down at the right hand of the Father. And when Paul says, I received a revelation of Jesus Christ, he might as well have said, I received a revelation from Jesus Christ. But the revelation that Paul received in these men is of Jesus Christ. It's the ascended Christ, though. Now, to make sure that I've not become a fanatic, uh, I have a DVR and we have a particular TV cable thing where I can record anything I want. And I make it a matter of practice to record different preachers on different Sundays and Sunday afternoon uh, is my time to just waste my time. And so I'll listen to some of these fellows and I don't want to lump everybody in the same bucket. But in two years, I've never heard an in-depth teaching on the Holy Spirit. I have heard some shallow teachings at Pentecost. 
I never hear about it. I've never heard on television that the spirit is always pointing to Christ. I have heard on the television that the spirit's always doing signs, miracles, and wonders. By the bucket full. And how many people are living in disappointment because they think that's the purpose? My goodness, that just makes my spiritual bowels roar. You know, people get all in a huff, and I do too, when I see something on television where some man or some woman has abused a child. I can see my father. I got it from him. He would cry uh, when things like that would come on television, not just when he was an old man. He just could not stand the thought. I picked that up from him. People get all bothered by that. They don't get bothered by spiritual abuse happening at all. They keep going to church. Sometimes I wonder why they're there. It's rare to hear a sermon on sin anymore. And yet the scriptures are quite clear. Until you understand the vile nature of sin, this is my little note here to myself, until you understand the vile nature of sin, its remedy, both doctrinally and practically, we will be weak in making Christ Lord in our personal lives. And what we will do is bring that weakness into the church. We People need to know that all shame, all guilt, from past actions that the blood of Jesus Christ washes over that. The new believer needs to hear this multiple times. God forgives to the uttermost. Consequences go on. David, go back to Noah. His drunkenness got him in trouble. He wasn't planning for what to happen to him, but if he hadn't have been drunk, his sons wouldn't have done what was done. Consequences go on, and people think God's going to clean those up. Read David's life. You know, clean up consequences. See, that's the real world. And so when you have that new babe in there who's suffering from shame and guilt, I believe there are more people suffering from shame and guilt in the world than physical illness. When you instruct someone that shame and guilt can be done completely away, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all unrighteousness, then you're teaching somebody to have a constant, constant, personal, constant, conscious, personal relationship with the great God who has is holy, holy, holy. And when he says he's forgiven you, he's forgiven you of the rawest sins. And when you tell them the conscience can be clean, and then you're an example of it. I seldom address any more of the problems that people have. I'll just look at them. I'm not talking about how wonderful I am. I'm just saying I'm working with a guy who's 55, who's recently gone through a divorce. He's a non-practicing Hindu, whatever that means. And I just looked at him and I didn't address his anger that he had about divorce, which would come out later. I just said, God raised a man from the dead and seated him at his right hand to help you work through this. Are you are you interested? And we're going along the road. I don't know how it's going to end, but God raised a man from the dead to handle the drug addict, the alcoholic, the adulterer. He's more than willing to forgive. And somebody's got to tell him you're going to have to put up with the consequences. I probably don't need to tell anybody that's over 25 you have to put up with consequences. Many pastors live in la-la land. God's going to just take care of everything automatically. He's not. He's going to forgive you your your sins. That's what he said he will do. But you're going to have to handle the consequences that come down that road. And the Bible's full of that. You know, Peter, good Lord, you know, says he went out and wept bitterly. Then Christ says, you know, make sure you bring Peter. Or he even tells Peter, you know, the devil's going to sift you like wheat. John 14, 26. But the strengthener, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So here are the 11 men and Matthias will join them in Acts. And what he's telling them is what, when this Holy Spirit comes, he's going to teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. We were taught regarding the manifestations that the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom is always going to be about something that you don't know. 
and that's true. But what I'm telling you is one of the things the Holy Spirit is going to do in my life is going to remind you of things you already know that you're not doing and remind and 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 then pointing the way that you don't need to be spending your time on this weight. It's just a weight. I'm sorry you bite your fingernails, but forget it. I mean, if you want it to clear up, just quit. But you know, stop being an alcoholic. Get that cleared up, okay? Now go forward with your own personal destiny. And I'll tell you, I believe everyone wants to have a destiny. They want to feel some kind of importance on this planet. I do. I, you know, I, I'm... Uh, not ashamed to say I learned it from Victor Paul Werwell. I, I did not learn it from my father, that God had a purpose for my life. And I don't know how many times I've got tangled up in shame and guilt and wanted to get rid of that. And all it did in my unbelief, I would not, nobody, I won't put laid off on anybody, but I was not taught that it's absolute. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all unrighteousness and unlike the blood of bull and goats, which reminded you every year hmm. of your sins. Christ cleanses the conscience. You got that verse? So the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom, those two in particular, those manifestations come about at God's sovereign desire and the Holy Spirit as Christ intercedes with you and the Holy Spirit comes to you and it will tell you on occasion and it will be miraculous. That's part of the extraordinary work of the Spirit to give you something that you have no way of knowing about. But the ordinary work is to remind you of what you should be doing that you already know. Stop this. Sit down and collect yourself. Go forward with your spiritual destiny. That's what young people need to hear today. They're wandering aimlessly where there's no, Jane, that, that verse about that you like about vision in the Old Testament. Yes. Well, you just, you put it in words. What does it say? It says where there is no vision, the people wander aimlessly. Yeah. But in Second Samuel, one of the first usages means that vision is there's no open word of God present. Yeah. And see, that's what we transfer to people, that open word of God that says you are, you you can be significant in your day and time. I don't care if you're a welder, an electrician. It doesn't make any difference. You have a sense of purpose. My son has taught uh, high school history for almost 30 years now. And his classes are a classic example of young people wandering aimlessly, you know, and his and his witness in that school has kept at least three girls from committing suicide. They had terrible home lives. They felt there was no purpose. And when he reminds them that there's purpose in life, then they grab hold. And there's got to be an, there's got to be an elder there, some mature Christian to talk to them about justification, sanctification and glorification and the straight, the straight skinny and reality of the spiritual life. Because the guy across the street who, street who's a non-Christian, don't think for a minute the devil hasn't got him snookered and he's suffering too. He has no hope. And when you start talking about glorification, that our bodies are going to be resurrected, that that's the great promise that's coming, thrills people. Hebrews 10, 22, you want to read it? You want to read it nice and loud? Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Yeah. John uh, 15, 26, for when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father. He shall testify of me, and ye shall also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. This word testify, the essence of it is to make something known that is not known, or to make something known, to make something fully known. So with the unsaved, we we give them enough information to know, and with the saved person, we start giving the, the information to them that they don't fully know. They've been justified by faith in Christ alone. 
And by the way, you're going to be sanctified in faith by Christ alone. It works the same way. He works in you, a sovereign Christ seated at the right hand of the Father, intercedes in your life for your Galatians 5.22 personal issues. And if there are ever any signs, miracles, and wonders, if there's ever any prophetic utterances, that's the extraordinary work of God, and that will occur um, at his will, not yours. Otherwise, the church gets all out of focus. Oh, so... John fourteen twenty seven to testify of me a solemn declaration of what is not known. That's what the apostles were supposed to do. And they did that. It's recorded in Acts all the way through. And then they ran into people that had not spoken in tongues, you remember. And like um, Apollos, Aquila and Priscilla ran into him. And they had a solemn testimony to him of things not fully known. You're going to run into people. Nobody in the, in the body of Christ is excluded from not knowing something. And that which I don't know, AJ may know thoroughly and completely. That's the reason our fellowship with one another is so important. The churches are not vital if there's not those conversations after church or before church or wherever those conversations have got to happen. It cannot happen in the pulpit pew bottle. It can't happen. It can happen in the Sunday school if you've got somebody who knows that the word is all sufficient, but it can't happen in the pulpit pew model. Chapter 16 and verse 8, 27 books, I said, he's going to lead you into all truth. The great all truth that would happen was the 27 books of the New Testament would be completed under the auspices of Paul, John, James, and Peter. They were all, the tradition says, martyred. Possibly John was the only one that died of old age. They gave their lives for these things. So that's the first thing, the all truth. But the other thing that the Spirit does, which is left out, is this whole issue of the personal guidance. It's been queered. It's been distorted into the extraordinary things only. And the poor fellow that leaves those churches and nothing happened to him. He has no consolation. He wonders if there's even a God in heaven. Where was it now? I got to preach and I forget where it was. 16.8? Okay. 16.7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the strengthener will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he was come, when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of the world is just. And notice it says in verse 8, when he is come, he will reprove. It should be. It's a much st- stronger word than reprove. I would say a strong conviction. But it says the the world of sin, and sin is singular. When the Holy Spirit comes in to affect somebody's life, it's based on faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. Then the Spirit has something to work with of the unsaved person in the world, of which you and I are examples. He has something to work on. So the great sin is the rejection of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When it says of righteousness, because I go to the Father and see see you no more, he had to ascend and sit down at the right hand of the Father before righteousness could be transferred to you. And it says in Romans 1, 16 and 17, and in the gospel, for therein in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. And 2 Timothy three sixteen, 16, uh, the final clause is training or instruction in righteousness. So what the Holy Spirit does, when you start developing this saying, come into my life, and I know that's old Baptist words, he's already in your life, but come into my life and instruct me in righteousness. And the more you mature, you start to see this holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty requiring more 
because you understand his holiness more. And then, then you start to say, it's so important that I go forward and I get rid of this shame and guilt. And let me tell you, I've seen shame and guilt ruin more people's lives, including my own, than cancer or some physical malady. And the Christian church is shot through with it of people who are not fully educated. And that stands just, that responsibility of that stands right in the preacher's lap. So you had to sit down at the right hand of the father and the theologians call it imputed righteousness. It's his righteousness is transferred to you, common language. And when God looks at you, he sees Christ's righteousness as part of that saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. He sees your what? He doesn't see your righteousness. Your righteousness, they say, is filthy rags. Uh, he sees you in the position of being in Christ. The way I like to think about it, my mind thinks about it this way. When I got saved, this big hand came out of heaven and just injected me with the Holy Spirit. Christ did me. And at the same time, picked me up and put me in the body of Christ, seated in the heavenly. And Christ sees me seated, uh, and God in Christ see me seated in the heavenlies, in the body of Christ. They don't see me as Mike here on the ground, so to speak, with all my weights and sins that I may fall into. And then of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. When Christ said it is finished, and I can never remember the, the Greek word. It starts with a T, but it means paid for. It's paid for. Your sins and mine are paid for. The social gospel is destroying the Christian church in America. It ignores sins and says your ethical and moral behavior, your help to your neighbor, is the most important thing. And there is no question your help for your neighbor it's an important thing. But the two great commandments are love God above all, number one, and love your neighbor as yourself. I could have a Hindu living across the street from me and a Muslim living on my right side and a Sikh living on my left side. They could be more ethical and moral than me. Ethics and morals are not salvation. Christ is salvation. Be, be aware of the social gospel that helping your neighbor or providing benefits to your neighbor is the sole thing. And you feel good because you've done it. And yet you're not duplicating Christ's life at all. Now, that's a hard thing to take for some people. But ethics and morals will not stand the test of the judgment seat. They will not stand the t- test. And that's that social gospel, particularly with young people. They need to hear the straight skinny on forgiveness and that everything is centered in Christ. Verse 12, I have many things yet to say unto you, but you can't bear them now. That's right. They had to have the Holy Spirit in them. And then they would be able to share the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayers in those early churches. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, that's the third time it's used, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. There's that 14 again that we started with. For he shall receive of mine, and he shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. The Holy Spirit does not speak of himself, but what he has heard, he transfers to you. And what Christ intercedes with you is the Father's will. That's the sequence of it. God the Father in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen has given Jesus Christ all power in heaven and earth. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. The great sin when you talk with people is they must believe in Jesus Christ and you can fill them in on the details that he's seated at the right hand of God to help them, help them sanctify the rest of their life and have a a purpose that fills them with joy, love, joy, peace, long suffering, temperance, meekness, faith. Against such there is no law. I don't know if I quoted all those seven things right, but you understand the meaning. So. The spirit of truth is resurrection power in us. You talk about courage to work with your family. Gentle, gent- usually with your family, you have to work gently. Uh, 
I made some mistakes in my youth with my parents, and it would be my uh, son who would win my mother to the Lord. Uh, it wasn't me. Uh, I was not wise. I wouldn't trade those days, however, for anything, even though I made some unwise uh, witnesses. So I appreciate the time to get in front of you uh, again, and thanks so much for listening and giving me an ear. And I hope your ministry continues to blossom and grow as you as you focus on the ascended and glorified Christ. Don't focus on these other things at the expense of Christ. It's a terrible tragedy that's happening in the Christian church. And the Satan's using the good and secondary things to take the focus off the ascended and glorified Christ. God, thanks for the chance for me to open up my heart tonight with the greatness of your sufficient scriptures. We come before you tonight, uh, finite beings in love with a finite God and his ascended and glorified son who is interceding and mediating for us on a daily basis to lead us forth on our spiritual destiny. Let us give him time every day in the ascended and glorified Christ's precious name. Amen. And Father, keep your hand of blessing on this country. Let us be in prayer much for this country in this particular day and time again in Christ's precious name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening and uh, Godspeed to all of you. And uh, if it can ever be of any service to you, please call. Take care. Stand strong and worship you And if it goes